Welcome to the Makom Israel Teachers Lounge podcast, where we connect students and listeners with Israel by discussing and exploring current events and relevant issues. I am your host, Michael Unterberg, here as always with co-host Alan Goldman. How are you, Alan? Doing well, Mike. Alan, would you introduce our very special guest? Oh, our very special guest today is Abby Dauberstone Stern, who is the director of Makom, which is where we work. And uh, she is our boss. And uh, she has been, um, uh, for many years, she was the, the ed- vice president of education at Hillel. And she came back home to Israel uh, last year and took over the direction of Makom, the, uh, Ju- the Jewish agency's Israel Education Lab. Right? Did I get it right? You got it right. Good morning. <laughs> All right. How are you doing, Abby? I'm doing well. Welcome to our little uh, secret Ben uh, recording cove yes. where the podcast gets made. So uh, where are you? F- can you just tell us a little bit about yourself before we get into my column? Sure. Where are you from originally? I am originally from Buffalo, New York. Mm-hmm. The story I love to tell most about myself, especially in the context of Macom, is that I am fourth generation, fourth generation American awesome. who moved to Israel from the United States of America and then back. To the United States. <laughs> However, <laughs> I am the first generation to return to Israel, uh, hopefully to stay, but you never know what happens in life. Mm-hmm. So you so you, you survived the lake effect snow of Buffalo, New York. Survived and loved, thrived in the lake effect snow of Buffalo, New York. My parents yeah. still live there. Wow. So we should turn up the air conditioning. <laughs> <laughs> so what got you into uh, the world of uh, Jewish education and organization? Gosh, I haven't thought about that in a long time. Um, what got me into wow, it? Wow, has it beaten you down that it, much <laughs> that you no longer even dream? What got me into it was that I got to college, University of Pennsylvania, um, in the late '90s, and um, I was kind of amazed that different kinds of Jews didn't talk to each other there. It was an amazing Hillel. Um, hundreds and hundreds of Jews um, and those Jews didn't necessarily interact very well so the Orthodox Jews and the conservative Jews and the Reform Jews um, we might have had services together in the same Hillel building um, had some activities together but when it came to say Friday night dinner um, it was very clear that Orthodox folks um, didn't join the rest of the folks and that really deeply bothered me um, and so I started to get active really back then um, mostly with an eye towards pluralism I also happen to really like Torah. So uh, spent after spending a year um, learning at Midrash at Lindenbaum, um, I just, I loved learning. And that was something that I wanted to continue. So it all comes together. You know, I think, I, I don't want to get derailed on this subtopic, <laughs> but I think when you're talking about a place that has so many Jews, that's when they don't communicate. When there's a smaller group of Jews, yeah. then they're forced to, and it, when you feel overwhelmed by the, when you, you have enough people around you, and you just naturally filter out the others. Um, I think that's probably true and certainly witnessed by what's happening here um, in Israel, both in political system, but also in the, the divides in religious life uh, and certainly in the United States as well. That if you feel like you have enough people, yep. you don't need to reach out to people who are different than you. Right. And coming from a small town, right, Buffalo, New York, yeah. um, there certainly was more interaction. Yeah. I mean, I, I raised was... my kids in the other Lake Effect City, mm-hmm. Cleveland, which was big enough and small enough that the people... Got along a little better than in a big city, but and so when I spent a year in Seattle. Also, there was much more uh, cooperative, you could mm-hmm. say, work than certainly in Philadelphia, where I grew up, which is a very divided city. Mm-hmm. Um, so, before we explain what Macom is, what is the Jewish agency? I know people have heard the term the Sochnut, the Jewish agency. <laughs> 
Is it fair to say that it essentially tries to keep Jews around the world united, that the relationship of Israeli Jews and diaspora Jews, is, is that their is that their charter? That is actually something that, that's been much more recent. Mm-hmm. Um, the Jewish Agency began historically, really yeah. right, historically as um, essentially the, the, uh, the government. It was mm-hmm. the, the seat of the first government um, of the state of Israel. Um, David Ben-Gurion, first uh, prime minister of Israel's um, office, was in the building that the current well, He ran the Sochnu under the British mandate. Yeah. Right. So the current chairperson, um, Yitzhak Herzog, Bougie Herzog, sits in the same office that David Ben-Gurion uh, sat in. So I, I always get a kick of going in there. Um, uh, so it was the seat of the government, essentially the first government of, of the state of Israel. Um, and and over years, it basically, um, its main job was to... was loosely speaking education um and and um and aliyah mm-hmm. um as part of that right was was it was and still is saving jews um when they needed to be saved quite literally right um to bring them to to israel um more recently there's there's less thank god of the saving but also they they are responsible for for aliyah around the world um and for jewish education and israel education in many many places all over the world and part of that has become also um bridging gaps between jews in different countries and jews in israel and, and connecting diaspora outreach but in no simple meaning of the word outreach in all sorts of different Correct. Different ways. Um, and I think their impact is seen in many places, but particularly if you go to small communities, say in the former Soviet Union um, or in Latin America, um, you'll see that, that the main educational institutions, Jewish educational institutions, are run by the Jewish agency. Mm-hmm. Um, in this country also, um, all the Merkaze Klita, the absorption centers, um, are still to this day run by the Jewish agency, um, along with many um, educational programs. Mm-hmm. And so what role does Macomb play within that larger structure? Right. So earlier, Alan said, um, we're sometimes called the Israel Education Lab of the Jewish Agency. Um, that's a way of saying, um, we, we sometimes like to think of ourselves as, as the underground of the Jewish Agency, um, or the R&D, the research and development arm of, of the Jewish Agency. Um, we are often... Just because it's cool to be subversive, though, not because... We, we any, love yeah. to be subversive. <laughs> um, but it's really about... Um, Developing new ways, <clears throat> new ways of thinking about education broadly, and specifically about Israel education. Given that that much of the agency is working on Israel education, whether it's um, through shlichim um, that they send to all around the world, whether it's um, through the partnership programs that they have between schools or between cities, um, and and Macom has really taken a leading role in thinking about how should Israel education be framed, um, how do, how should training of professionals look. Um, and and coin in a lot of coining of, of new terms and new words um, and, new, and new framings for for Israel education and for and and also for the what we loosely call peoplehood education, um, bringing people together, connecting Jews from around the world. Because the situations themselves are so uh, so fluid, education has to be nimble and responsive. So you need a a, a think tank that's sort of looking into. How to make education continually relevant, even though circumstances are so right. So um, I don't love calling ourselves a think tank because then that make, <laughs> makes makes this seem like all we do is think. We don't. We also do. Oh, um, oh. I have to do more than that for this. Right, exactly. Oh no. Um, but I, I will say that uh, Johnny Ariel, who is the founder of of Macom, um, is exceptional at recognizing trends mm-hmm. um, before other people have recognized them. And that's sort of been a, a really strong point uh, that Macomb has had is sort of recognizing um, when, when something's about to happen. So the term hugging and wrestling with Israel, which mm-hmm. is really at the core of how Macomb sees itself, both hugging and wrestling with Israel, um, became a phrase that in the world of Israel education, people started using all over. Um, 
And and now that's obvious. It seems, of course, we huggle, hug and wrestle. We, do, we don't just hug. We also wrestle. Um, when when Johnny um, and his colleague Robbie Greengrass really f- formulated those that, that phrase, it was radical. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's been, there's been a lot of that kind of thinking over the years. Well, everything's obvious after somebody right. really smart comes up with it uh-huh. and breaks through. Indeed. Uh, you came up with the with the uh, challenging Israel education yes. motto. Yes. What do you mean by that? That Makom is challenging Israel education. Yes, Makom is the place for challenging Israel education. Um, so I mean, it's a double entendre, right? It has two meanings. Um, one that we want this kind of Israel education to challenge you, the learner, whoever, whomever you are, um, that any education, any good education, has to actually have some element of challenge to push you in. And, and make you ask new questions. You grow and when you leave your comfort zone. Correct, um, and obviously figuring out what the right amount of challenge. If we challenge you too much, you'll you'll leave, um, and that's true in any educational setting. But mm-hmm. but if there isn't enough challenge, you'll be bored. And so ch- challenging um, in any education is very important. But we also mean by that um, that that we. Um, are very open to and almost expect that our learners will challenge um, Israel and, and and forms of Israel education that currently exist. Um, and we want that to be a, a sort of two-way street where mm-hmm. not only are we challenging the people who are who are learning with us, but that the people learning with us are challenging us to think differently um, about the work that we do. Uh, and there's some establishment also that I guess we're supposed to be challenging, uh-huh. or is there is there really an I think Israel trends. education? I think maybe there's trends yeah. is more like it than establishment. Yeah, I don't think there's really an establishment, but I I think that's fair. Well, the the image of the establishment, Mm -hmm. the the Jewish establishment or the Mm -hmm. mainstream Jewish establishment. Which are terms you hear. I'm not like, I'm I'm being kind of jokey, but... Right, of course, you can't see that 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 Alan, I mean that that Michael's smiling. Um, Alan is too. Um, uh, but but the the idea of the Jewish establishment today, um, where establishments used to be loved and embraced and and are still by many, um, increasingly, uh, particularly the, the younger parts of our population, say under thirty, give or take. Um, don't like establishments as much because mm-hmm. they they imply whether this is true or not they imply slow response you know slow responsiveness um, a little bit behind on the trends bureaucratic um, and so that that is negative and so the establishment that takes on a negative um, view I'd say also when it comes particularly to Israel education the establishment um, often has people view them as um, having very fixed ideas about what Israel is and isn't, what you're allowed to say about Israel, what you're not allowed to say about Israel. You can't, you can't be critical about Limiting Israel. You can only advocate for Israel. Right. And um, and so Makom, in that way, likes to be anti-establishment, mm-hmm. to say, no, no, we welcome questioning. No, we, we're, not, we're not slow. We want to create new things and be quick to respond to trends um, and, and want the people who, who are learning with us um, to do that as well. Education isn't afraid of any topic or conversation or approach. What was your your formulated question, Alan, was about? Um, so the I guess the question I was thinking is, what um, what is the need in Israel education that Macomb is addressing? Well, there's so many. I have to talk about just one. Uh, <laughs> you can talk about them all. <laughs> so, You're the boss. You get to do it. <laughs> um, so I, I, I'll start with the core, where, we come, where, where our take on Israel education and where the need it comes from, and then I'll maybe name a few. Um, the core really is that Israel education sometimes is seen as a separate part of Jewish education, that it's this thing that, that we can do separately and that we can teach people about Israel and Shalom al-Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, I don't see that, that that way at all, but rather 
um, Israel education is Jewish education. Mm-hmm. That um, the work that we do in Israel education is at its core identity work. Um, it's not just about understanding facts and figures. It's, but it's also, and almost more importantly, about um, who are you? What do you believe? What do you want? Who do you want to be in the world? What do you want to do in the world? And that by studying Israel, by engaging with Israel, by being in Israel, um, you can help get some of the answers to those questions. Well, in the 21st century, who are the Jews and what is my place among them? Israel becomes a centerpiece. That's a great way of not a not a subtopic that I may prioritize or I may not. You know, we have to do topic X, and Israel will fall to the somewhere wherever it fits on the list. But this is actually an essential identity topic, right? And in fact, what we're seeing increasingly, particularly in the United States, but really everywhere, is that um, Israel that sorry that that Jews are implicated by Israel, whether they like it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I mean by that is, right, Israel's actions, um, you know, are are influencing or impacting upon Jews, whether they they personally have a relationship with Israel. And that is very, very complicated. Um, and so we don't, we don't want people to feel like they're... Um, You're saying by hook or crook. Yeah. But, right. Correct. A Jew is identified by Israel. Well, that's Israel. how Zionism was born in the age of the Jewish question, where Jewish identity is being right. challenged. So Zionism was... So Israel is now a playing that, that same question. role in, when the Jewish question is now mm-hmm. coming alive again. Right. And we... and Right. And I think one of the, the one ways of putting it is we want people not to feel like they're objects mm-hmm. of the state of Israel, but actually that they are subjects that they mm-hmm. are able to act upon, and that they're not only just acted upon, and, and they, they're not they don't only need to be responsive, but actually they can also sort of so to speak use right quote unquote use Israel um, mm-hmm. to help them grow as well. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by that? That they can use Israel to. Well, my favorite example, and the truth is we haven't done much work on this, but we should, um, <laughs> is is being a recent— This um, isn't a teacher's lounge. This is like a staff meeting. Is yes, that what this right. is? Becoming? Yeah. <laughs> so one um, example that I was sort of obsessed with for a while when I lived in the United States and in my process of moving here just over a year ago, this is the second time I moved here, um, is health insurance. Mm. Health insurance in the United States Um is a disaster, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Sorry, I hope that's not too political. Well, it's not but political. A disaster it's in the not sense- political to say it's a very controversial issue, and there's very different opinions, and it's consuming the political. Consuming, and what I'll say, I'll say what I mean by disaster. Medical care is second to none, right? Mm-hmm. I mean that that is known. You can get excellent, excellent medical care and treatment in the United States, um, but at very large cost. Mm-hmm. And so um, even, you know, s- someone like me who had a senior position in an international organization, um, I was spending literally tens of thousands of dollars on insurance a year. And, the, you know, wow. if I got sick one year, um, I would get slammed with extra costs from being in the hospital. I mean, really, mm-hmm. um, and and I never knew what it would be. And there were all these bills to deal with and there was having to argue. And and it just made me insane. And then I come to this country, and people think, by the way, that there are huge waiting times, and you never get an appointment, and that doctors it's, run late. It is late. somewhat more bureaucratic, but it's not the no, disaster that people think. it's panic. not my experience at all. My experience is it's less bureaucratic. Sure, I hmm. can't always just call a doctor and make an appointment. Exactly. Sometimes, I often, I need a referral. Exactly. And I need to get the referral approved. But that's, first of all, almost all done online now. Mm-hmm. And it won't cost me anything. Mm-mm. And so I might have to wait if it's a non-emergency situation. I might have to wait two, three months, but it's a non-emergency situation. Emergency situations get treated right away, and at least in my my, my limited experience. Right. But that example of just to, to look well, at— Also, I think in American medical—I don't know why we're getting sub— I don't want well, to I'll tell sub- you why, yeah. yeah. No, no, but I will say this. In America, you turn to machinery very quickly, and in Israel, machinery is used much more reluctantly. So the M- example machinery, everyone yeah. gives like, oh, you can get an MRI in three seconds in the States, and in Israel— 
Yeah, because Israeli doctors don't rely on them as much. Right, and I and I'm pretty sure that um, uh, not not just quality of life, but um, uh, what's it called? How long people live um, is longer in this country, is, yes. right? Than than in the United States. So, so life expectancy and health in general is life better. Life expectancy. Thank you. Um, right, and health is better. So, right. So it's I use that as an example. Just when people are thinking about studying different subjects, even something that you think has mm. nothing to do, we have a really interesting model. And sure, mm-hmm. you could also use England, and right. you could use many countries. But it isn't it interesting that here we are, and we could also use Israel. And so there are many examples like that that um, that. I find fascinating. I mean, you could use gun control mm-hmm. um, as, as another one about where, you know, a right to, to bear arms, um, to look in Israel, how many guns are everywhere, and then mm-hmm. think about, well, wait a second, what are the implications of being trained differently on guns? Or is it about training? Is it about how you get them? Is it about lo- gun lobby? Who knows? But here there, there are- cultural right, differences. Here there are fewer, um, far fewer um, uh, random mass murder attacks, right, that, than in the United States. And again, there's a lot to there be learned. There are pretty strict gun laws also. Despite having but guns, it is everywhere. a little dependent yeah. upon upon um, a civilian as, military. No, also the, no. I'm saying in terms of gun violence is dependent also on on different uh, uh, sectors sectors of, the, of, of society. Israeli society. Because mm-hmm. right, sure, uh, we talked about it before. But the right, Arab uh, and none of this is simple, reason. which is certainly part right. of Macomb's right. approach. Right, but part of Macomb's approach is that that um, we educate from complexity right. that there isn't most most interesting subjects are not simple they will be complicated and there won't be an easy answer of oh of course gun control is better in israel than the united states it's not that simple mm-hmm. or where right. health insurance exactly. is better not so simple it's much mm-hmm. more complicated than that um, but that it provides um real material for study and thought so makom does have particular methodologies or pedagogies that are sure that it do. believes in it's not just israel by any means it's there's a right um so my favorite one, we have we have five. I don't know if I'll go through all of them, but my favorite one, and and really speaks to some of what we've been talking about, is uh, we always talk about the elephant in the room. Mm-hmm. So if we want to go back to the conversation about establishment organizations, a critique again, I don't know if it's right, but a critique is they ignore ignore certain subjects, um, and so Macomb will always say we don't want to ignore anything we are willing to bring the most complicated issues put them on the table um so for years and i think it's changed but for years um, nobody wanted to talk about the palestinian israeli conflict um and that wasn't part of israel education israel education was was all about the the milk and the honey and the beauty Mm -hmm. of this country um, which is also true Uh, but people especially in the israel education field wanted to ignore the conflict makom would never ignore the conflict it was always part of the conversation that was the elephant in the room Mm -hmm. um and they're they're always subjects like that well i mean i guess it goes back to this um this idea we were talking about before about identity interest identity that Israel education was seen as building identity, at least even if it wasn't articulated. Mm-hmm. So you want to build a positive identity. So how do you build a positive identity by dealing with the elephant in the room, right? Uh, now I can say, oh, if we don't, well, but you know, you know what I'm saying? Yes. How, yeah. If you so deal with the, the negative, that, mm-hmm. that was the. It, it wasn't. A, I don't. It wasn't like. Uh, and people still do it today. It's not. I, I don't think it's a um, a, a thought out. Oh, we don't want to do that. But it's more like, okay, we want to focus on the good. Right. It was a well-intentioned so, yeah. m- mistake. Well, it's certainly become more of a mistake as media has become more and well, information has become more I, I think what you're saying, available. Abby, and tell me if, I, if you think I'm getting it wrong. I think you have to meet the student where they are. And if that's what the student's thinking and wondering about, and that's not what you're teaching about, if that's not what the student will be thinking and wondering about, and you're not teaching about it, then you're failing the student. Right. So I, I, I always... The meet the student where you are. Um, I always push that further and say you want to meet the student where where he is and push them further. We Correct. don't want to keep the student obviously right. where they are. Um, 
And if we ignore the things that are on their mind, education becomes relevant, irrelevant, mm -hmm. right? right? So if we're only talking about a small portion of what right. they're thinking about, and actually there's some big question that we're not allowing to enter, right? Some elephant that they're trying to hide, which you can't really hide elephants. Right. So that's the point, right? Um, right? But if we're if they're trying to hide this big question, they're then what we're doing is only kind of interesting and won't get at the core. I, I, I mean, I think I'll take it to a little step further also, and, and it may not be a question today for many of our students, but we know it will be, mm -hmm. right? That elephant is there, even if they're not cognizant of it today. So the thought is, let's... Well, let, high school let's, let's, uh, yeah. yeah. Whatever, whatever, yeah. whoever you're talking about. So therefore, it's... Well... Uh, again, whatever issue... Right. So just take the example, and I know you, in, in our Israel course, um, we do we do some of this, but do we introduce, right? The question over the years has been, do we introduce a Palestinian narrative to the building of the state of Israel, right? Into the history of, of the state of Israel. Um, we, we sort of, um, broadly speaking, the Jewish community only ever taught um, certainly the way I grew up, mm -hmm. we only learned um, the, the Israeli, the Jewish story. To, the Zionist to, narrative. The, right, the, the Zionist way, can, Jewish narrative. We can, give, we can testify that that's still going on because our students who come to classroom, it's for the large majority, it's the first time they've encountered the Palestinian narrative. And there's so. good reason for that also, mm -hmm. right? There's, it's very important that we, want, we should know our story before we know somebody right. else's story. Right. We want the positive. We want, all of that makes a lot of sense. But what ends up happening, or at least... Our theory, although we're seeing it in practice, is then somehow the student at some unexpected point stumbles on something they didn't learn and they feel lied to. Mm -hmm. And so that's sort of the elephant that then they're holding. And maybe they read an article about a Palestinian or maybe they met somebody and they don't know what to make of that. And how come no one ever mentioned it before? Mm -hmm. And so our theory of education, is what, I think what, all, what all of us here in the room have been doing, is really saying, well, wait a second, let's also introduce other stories so people aren't surprised. Mm -hmm. um, and so and so people can, can have the kind of conversation and then ask the kinds of questions they need to in the room together. I, I think it's A, that feeling of betrayal that you're describing. Mm -hmm. I think it's also... There's another, oh, they didn't want to tell me this because it disproves everything they did. So they couldn't tell me because they lied. And that's how you, in other words, I, I, well, I think there are a number of things that separate indoctrination from education. Mm -hmm. And obviously in every education, you're, you're trying to bring across cultural values and ideas. There is an element of well, Right, we talk about values education. Yeah, there is mm -hmm. an element of transmission of, you know, in, in education, but in doc, it's, it shouldn't be indoctrination and when you're when you're when you're ignoring elephants in the room i'm worried that you're for well, well, I, for maybe right. the best of intentions trying to indoctrinate rather than educate yeah i mean i think as teachers our job is is to help clarify issues mm -hmm. and ideas so that our students can make their own decisions about them mm -hmm. and that that's where the difference between you know values and indoctrination comes mm -hmm. so I'll just add another piece that's very important when if you, we're using this distinction between education and indoctrination. Another very, very important value in pedagogy for Macomb is what we call using multiple voices, mm -hmm. um, right? And that's um, not just multiple. Another way to say multiple voices is pluralism or plurality of voices. Mm -hmm. um, we, we never want to just present one particular approach. And that's true. The example we gave here was we, we not only are presenting the Zionist Jewish approach, but we also include um, some Palestinian narratives. But also within the Jewish mm -hmm. frame, we don't only right. want to present one view to what Zionism is. There are many different um, ideologies, right, when it comes to Zionism, many different Zionisms. Um, not only that, but today in mo the modern state, there are many ways of thinking about the, the many issues we have um, in the country and not just one approach. And we're very careful um, to, to include many approaches because our belief, again, is that the students should be able to ask questions, should be able to have information and make decisions um, for themselves about where what they believe and what they think.
which seems so, like very quintessentially Jewish, right? Right. It's not just good pedagogy. I think it's so traditionally Jewish to present any topic. You know, we are the only people on earth. I think I saw, I, I forgot who said this, the, uh, 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 that, that we are the only people who take our holiest text, the Torah, and, sur- and print it surrounded by people arguing about what it's saying. Mm-hmm. That that's so, and 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 I think that's something that our today in our political moment, that's something that we so many of us feel so desperately needs to be, and the classroom is one of the places where where students can learn to. Right. And Israel is such a great place. Right. You know the topics are so energized that you discuss it from multiple voices, and somehow you realize, well, that it, that's safe actually. That's and, okay. And I think one of the things that's that's interesting that I'm seeing a lot right now, and with our work with Moshe House, um, our work with with Hebrew school educators and others, um, is very much that on the one hand there is this desire to have that those multiple multiple mm-hmm, voices, mm-hmm. like in the times of of the Gemara, of the Talmud, um, and at the same time, people aren't sure how to how to argue anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, there's become a real difficulty to for for how how do I actually communicate with you in a way that isn't going to hurt you that I can state my opinion? Mm. How do we have that kind of conversation? And and it's surprising, but we're actually working on building um, uh, educational modules. And how do you have those kinds of difficult conversations? Um, how do you bring in the multi- multiplicity of voices within even a small room of two or three people without causing a fight? And how can we make that not scary? Right. Yeah. Well, part of it is just demonstrating that disagreement isn't dangerous. Right. That it's safe, actually. We don't all have to agree to feel safe. In fact. We can disagree, and that's okay. Yes. I I mean, I think it's on both sides. I mean, it is, yes, the person speaking that they have to speak in a certain way, but the person who's hearing the criticism also has to be able to— Has to be a generous listener. uh, Be able to hear it in a way. It's speaking sensitively and listening generously. Yeah. 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 That I I want to learn from you, and so I will listen in a way that's open and— Yeah, I mean, I guess these were always skills that were important to transmit, but we're in an age where we're in a desert of that sort of thinking. Where, where people write things in however many characters, you know, on, on WhatsApp or, or text messages, they're used to very, very short sound bites. And sound bites don't enable um, rich conversation right. and, and mm-hmm. argument. Chalke um, right. right? Argument for the sake of heaven. Right, and it's also very hard to it, it becomes harder to read generously a tweet because I didn't hear your inflection, like something that you may have said. It's so easy for miscommunication to take place that those are skills that now have new yep. urgency. Yeah, and and so sort of what you're saying also is that that we this goes back to your point before that Israel becomes a Israel education becomes a place where. You grow in so many other ways, well, and you know, as a critical thinker, as an as, as as being comfortable leaving your comfort zone, as making disagreements safe. There's so many other life skills that come out of Israel education that become identity education, even beyond the fact that it's an essential part of what it means to be Jewish in the 21st century. Right, that's exactly right. Um, and I'd say, just add that the 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 way you know the sort of pluralism that that I think all of us at Makom really inhabit. Um, models that right. Mm-hmm. It's a way of of, of saying um, you don't have to have a particular viewpoint. You just you need to have a viewpoint, and we mm-hmm. want you to have a viewpoint and be part of the conversation. Right. Um, and and that's that's really what right. pluralism is based on the fact that we don't all agree. Right. That's the whole point. Right. And the Zionist Congress was formed of people who didn't agree getting together because we want to build something together. Not despite the fact that we disagree, but because we disagree, the end product will be richer. Yes. 
That's what Zionism is. So you, so you think we have good jobs? Is that what you're saying? You think? Mm-hmm. I think it's pretty good. <laughs> it is a pretty good job. You know, yeah. I didn't get to. I didn't get to cover one important thing, and I'm not sure there's time. I just, I do want to just say that um, a, a very core part of our work has, has become what we call our four hatikva questions. Mm. Um, and I'll just, I'll refer you very quickly to uh, the second to last line of hatikva, which is lihiot am chofshi beartzenu to be a people free in our land. Um, and we ask four existential questions um, about what does it mean to, to be, what does it mean to be free, what does it mean to be a people, and what does it mean to be in our land? Um, and that also very much plays into um, our educational approach. That all um, Israel conversations, we, we should do an interview with Robbie just on the four Hatikva questions, but, yes. um, but basically that all Israel conversations take place within those four quadrants. Yeah, and, and understanding how they lay in those quadrants clarifies. And I would push further to say those four questions are are the four existential questions that we deal with in general, not just about Israel. And that's why they're so far, so powerful. And that's um, one one thing we like to say is that um, Zionism is the ongoing quest to answering those to best answer those questions. Yeah, um, you and put a question mark after moment. each word to be a free country in our land. Yeah, free people, free people in our, in our land. land. Correct. Yeah. Right. All right. Well, thanks so much, Abby. Uh, I have to go teach. So (laughs) back to work instead of uh, talking about the work. Sometimes we actually have to do the work. You have to leave the teacher's lounge and go get in the classroom. Yeah, which is really fun, actually. Um, So thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you, Alan. Thank you, Mike. And thank you, Ben, and for your patience working under while they're doing a little construction around the recording studio. So thank you so much for helping us out to the end of the episode, which this is. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Macomb Israel Teacher's Lounge podcast. Don't forget to share, subscribe, rate, and review. Join us next time.